everyone. I'm Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris Kay. Welcome to Debating Metal, the show where we discuss and debate our favorite forms of music, hard rock and heavy metal. And this week, we're doing a little head-to-head battle with two of hard rock's most unique bands. These two bands both released albums in 1989, and both albums put each band firmly on the map. Though one band would go on to have massive mainstream appeal, the other would find a more of a niche audience and often be credited as inspiration for many bands that would follow. Both bands cross the genres of rock, metal, funk, and rap, and tonight we debate to see which one had the better album. And which albums are we referring to? Well, tonight's head-to-head pits the Red Hot Chili Peppers' Mother's Milk up against Faith No More's The Real Thing. Which one will come out on top? So, Chris, Faith No More versus the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mother's Milk versus the Real Thing. Um, we're 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 stretching out and we're we're going outside of our typical boundaries with these two bands, and I like that idea. I just don't know if 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 uh, I listen to this enough to to make a a, a worthy assessment, but we're gonna try. <laughs> You know they're they're at least I very am. different than what we've talked about in most of our episodes, um, but they've both had a pretty strong impact on uh, you know metal bands, rock bands, and metal fans. So I think they're definitely a worthy uh, you know group of bands to talk about. And these albums, while I would say they're pretty different. They do share some similarities in that there's some the rap, rock, funk, metal, um, but there was also some some heat between Anthony Kiedis and Mike Patton, who Anthony felt that Mike stole his style, etc. I think that's kind of a stretch. You know, they're very different, but. <laughs> Bottom line is two white guys trying to hip hop. Well, they <laughs> it's kind of goofy do, looking, you know. Right? No, and and I mean, bottom line is yes. Uh, I believe there was some influence um, on Mike from Anthony because Anthony had been doing it for a while already at this point. Um, and and Mike, you know, they're from California, so they they definitely you know were they were friends or up as far as I know. And they they've known each other, so yeah, there's definitely some influence. You can see that, but I don't think he stole something outright from Anthony as far as being able to move. I mean, that's just something the way the music makes you react. Well, he said his style, like his clothing, etc., too. But I mean, you're talking two long-haired white guys that don't wear shirts sometimes. Like I, I don't know what you want. <laughs> I guess Fabio <laughs> stole their style too. Oh jeez, <laughs> Fabio! Hey, we're in the '80s, so <laughs> I know, I know exactly what you're referring to, and it's just Fabio. <laughs> All right. Well, um, yeah. I mean, these these are I, you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put anything down as far as these are both very two good albums. Um, I am a Red Hot Chili Peppers fan. I'm more of a Chili Peppers fan than I am a Faith No More fan. That is for sure. Um, Faith No More pretty much lost me after Angel Dust. And even probably during Angel Dust. I, I, to the point, I never really, really got into 
Faith No More. I got much more into the Red Hot Chili Peppers um, for for several albums, and you know I was a bigger fan of theirs than I was of Faith No More. So I'm not so I'm not going to deny that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to favor one over the other either, uh, because these are very two very distinctly different albums, and the similarities are slim, but they're there, and we're going to talk about them. All right, so the first album we're going to talk about is Faith No More Is the Real Thing. Um, that album came out, uh, June 20th, 1989 on slash slash reprise records. And I didn't know this, uh, this is a completely different aside. I did not realize or know, I, I read something or heard something the other day that reprise records was started by Frank Sinatra. I could be wrong about that, but that's what I heard. And that is pretty cool. I mean, basically he had left, uh, capital after so many years and he just decided to put out his own stuff and basically reinvented his career and it all, all the reinvention and the, the, the secondary career was all on reprise records. So that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, he, he did. He formed it in 1960 and, uh, I guess now it's owned by Warner music group. Yes. So anyway, so yes, released June 20th, 1989 slash reprise records. Slash, slash, reprise records. <laughs> Recorded at Studio D in Sausalito, California, and it was produced by Matt Wallace and the band themselves. Um, and to go over who's in the band, if for those who may not know, uh, Faith No More is made up uh, on this album of Mike Patton on vocals, Jim Martin on guitars, Roddy Bottom on keyboards, Billy Gould on bass, and Mike Borden on drums. All right, so... We'll just go right into it. Song number one, From Out of Nowhere. Um, for me, the first the first second I heard that song, the first riffs that played, instantly brought me to a punk song. Um, and then a few seconds later, the just the melody and the harmony of the of the the riffing and the way that they were doing it and that they had they added that little tiny harmony part to the guitar riff kind of changed it it's very catchy uh i like the song it's pretty cool um it 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 just it's just kind of punches you real quick it doesn't really tell you what's coming on the rest of the album that is for sure you don't expect the rest of the album after uh, while you're listening to this song what are your thoughts on it that was actually something I noted as well. Like the listeners really has no idea what they're in store for with the next, you know, I guess technically eight songs or nine songs, depending on which version you had. Um, you know, it's, it's a very vocally driven track and Mike Patton's singing is pretty excellent. You know, he, he has a, a huge range. He has an ability to switch notes very quickly, etc. Like, he he knows what he's doing with his vocals. And, you know, it's it's a little repetitive, but the, I don't mean that, like, in a bad way. Like, it's got this riff that's, that is catchy and kind of keeps you going through the song. And I think it's a good opening. And it's also the first single they released. Right. And and that's 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 exactly what it is. It it, it may be repetitive, but that's that's the punkish part of it about it. Yeah. So, um, but I like the song. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, so then comes Epic, song number two. That is the big single off the album. So 
the notes that I put down is that while the Red Hot Chili Peppers pioneered funk rap rock up to this point, Faith No More had a little less funk, a little more rock, and even though this this is a, a, a song is predominantly rap oriented, um, the chorus is obviously not a rap oriented part of the song. It goes on to highlight Mike's vocals as, and, and show how good he is as a singer. Uh, it's just one of the one of the examples that's throughout the entire album, um, and you know it's it's an it's a catchy song. I mean, be, between the raps part. And then when you get to the chorus and then that whole part about, you know, what is it, you know, is it, that is, that's the catchy part of the song. That becomes an earworm and that sticks in your head for a day or two or a week or whatever. I mean, you, it's hard to forget that part. So I think it's a pretty cool song. Yeah. I mean, the, you said her earworm that, I mean, the whole song kind of is right. Cause it's, it's made right. up of three really distinct, different vocal parts. Uh, and right. Each of them is catchy, which is pretty crazy. Like that, that would ha- all happen on one song. Um, it's you know, it's got the rap rock delivery of the verses. It's got the singing chorus, and then it's got this like punchy. It what is it? You know that just keeps kind of repeating throughout the song, and it's it's extremely memorable. I remember. And I, I told you this story before, but I remember being at a friend's house in in like 1990, 1990-ish, you know, and we were playing with Nerf guns and that video with that song came on and everyone in the room just stopped and watched it. And that's something that's always kind of stuck with me, this, this kind of moment where the song and the video were so interesting and powerful that it just stopped everyone from like, and these are kids, like four or five year old kids just stop and watch a music video. <laughs> you know, that's to pun intended, pretty epic. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that is, that is very powerful when, when something like that can happen. Uh, especially with, when, you know, the, the end of the video era was, was slowly working its way, uh, into the mainstream. Um, so, Song number three is another single that came off the album called Falling to Pieces. Um, So the funky vibe or the funk vibe of this song is what makes it really catchy and very cool. Um, But for me, I think, and it doesn't, this doesn't necessarily say it's, it makes it a bad song, but the little tiny rap parts right before it gets to the chorus I almost felt like it was unnecessary because the way that they're done just goes, it's very cliche as to how a non-hip-hop artist would rap on a song. And I, I think for me, just hearing that, I'm like, eh, it kind of, to me, not it didn't detract, it just it brought the song down a notch because I didn't think it was necessary. It could have been said and done a different way, but I, I also realize that Faith the More is like that and that's what they would do. So you got that balance that you have to, to, to figure out. But the song overall is pretty cool. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I like the song. So there is something more to that where Mike Patton was hired during production of this album. Uh, they had to fire Chuck Mosley. Uh, he was 
having a lot of problems with drugs and he was getting violent and uh you know he he worked through a lot of that uh, uh, before he unfortunately passed away a few years ago um so he really did work on himself to become a better person they, they actually ended up playing with chuck later on again a few times and mike and chuck would sing together which i think is really cool to have that kind that of pre- that is pretty cool you know um uh, I, what's the word? Redemption, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, a little um, bit, yeah. So, but Mike was hired during production of this, and he wrote all of the lyrics and vocal melodies in about 12 days, which is pretty impressive when you really think about it. All of the vocal melodies, all of the lyrics. Um, so well, that is That is impressive. So there's going to be a few songs that I feel like are amiss. You know, we'll talk about that as we go through it. And Falling to Pieces, while it was really successful, this was one that I like, like exactly what you said. I like the the melody of the the verses, I mean, of the chorus. But the, the little rap parts, they're all right. Um, but the band doesn't even like this song. They stopped playing it almost entirely in 1993, and they very rarely looked back. Um, They don't have a lot of positive things to say about it. They don't like playing it. It's kind of boring to play, and uh, just they never vibed with it, and I kind of get that. So... and, and I in like, like I said, it's it's hard to sit there and say, yeah, it's because of the rap part. I don't necessarily think it's because no, of I that. I don't think it's specifically that. But I I really thought when I sat when I sat down and I listened to the song, I thought it was relatively unnecessary. Yeah. Um, they could have probably done something with a little bit better bridge that would have made the 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 really cool and catchy chorus. And the and the really good melody of the chorus that much better. It is a catchy chorus, and it sticks in my head a lot, especially like when I listen to this album. That that indecision, it clouds my vision. Part it it will stick mm-hmm. in my head. Oh, that that's that stuck with me. And then the the other part where you know I'm falling to pieces, somebody put me together. Yes, that you know I I walked inside the house yesterday, going somebody put me together. You know, yeah. just because <laughs> I was just listening to this song, so it, it it's got some cool catchy parts. It was it I see where the band may sit there and say, yeah, we don't need to do this. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> next up is surprise, you're dead. <laughs> Um, f- song number four. Um, this is the this the song to me that brings in the metalheads. Uh, this is the song. It's heavy. It's a little thrashy in parts. Um, the guitar breakdown at about a minute forty is very thrash like. So you know, and that's Jim Martin because he's from San Francisco and his friends are in Metallica and Exodus and and all those other bands. So. That that is, I guess, his way of getting that out of himself. And you know, you listen to "Surprise You're Dead" and you listen to "Epic," and it's like you don't think they're the same two bands, you know. No. But with with the with the bass and the funky bass and the drum rhythms, and then you say, okay, yeah, I can see that. But yeah, these two songs are those two songs are very different from each other. But "Surprise You're Dead" is a pretty cool song in my eyes. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it is really pun intended a surprise because you're following a song like fall to pieces or falling to pieces and it's so much heavier vastly different vocals i mean there's some growling there's machine gun kind of vocals you know i would say this the this is the metal track of the album 
and you know it's it's heavier it's you know there's some good stuff coming up as well but this song is pretty awesome yeah i i like it a lot now song number five uh goes in another completely different direction zombie eaters um you know this starts off with this atmospheric acoustic intro very melancholy in a way um and then it gets to this one point and all of a sudden it gets you know very distorted very heavy uh right around the two minute mark you know the the distorted bass and it just it, it changes directions within the song and then it goes back to the the, the melancholy part and then back to to crunchy and distorted it's it's a it's a strange song in that regards but at the same time it is pretty cool um listening to it you know at first i i, I listened to it in the car but the first time i heard it i was just listening to it on my phone and i kind of got a vibe at the beginning of like remember tomorrow from iron maiden yeah a little but then bit I re- yeah. Then, then i realized it wasn't exactly like that but it, it was there was something about it that kind of triggered that that part of of of, this, of the song in me um Another cool thing that I like about it, the riff towards the end, and there you go, that, that's the other part. Again, there's a little bit of metal in there. It has that, um, it has an Am I Evil um, vibe to it, you know, with the with the riffing guitars. And I'm like, well, okay, that's pretty cool. And you can tell, that, again, that's the Jim Martin influence or the San Francisco influence. But um, it's 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 a very cool song because of the way it goes back and forth and, and the heaviness and the, and the lightness, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, I mean, you you covered a lot of what I was was thinking about it as well. Um, you know, it shows a lot of dimension to Mike Patton's vocals because you go from from heavy to, or soft to heavy, you know, to soft again. He's doing a lot of different dynamics of of the way he's singing, like different stylings, um, and then that keyboard adds a lot of dimension to the track as well with the atmospheric sound. Uh, it's very mature on this album like it's it is almost another level than some of the other tracks yeah it that you definitely see that and and one thing about you know going all the way back to epic real quick is the same that's the same thing that we talk about with a lot of albums that we that we review there's always that one song that stands out that was epic on this album because it's even though they do rap rock throughout several songs there's nothing on the on the rest of the album that's like epic. Mm-hmm. There are more stuff in line with like from out of nowhere and falling to pieces and surprise you're dead. Those are more in line with each other than anything with that to do with epic. But um, again, but but a song like Zombie Eaters because of the maturity of the songwriting, it can lend itself to being, you know that that idea that we can do something different and still be the same band yeah all right so now that brings us to song number six which is the real thing that's the title track it's an interesting and long song that's about all i got (laughs) (laughs) i mean i really like this track you know it starts off a bit slow but it has a really strong build to it over over the course of the song um i love the orchestral keyboards um, Mike's vocals are excellent, and again, he runs the gamut of vocal stylings here. You know, some might not like an eight-minute track, uh, but 
to me, it's it's a journey worth taking. Like it, it is a very strong song, and I think the more you listen to it, too, the more it builds on you. That's that is the one thing I did notice. It it, it feels like a journey. Exactly the words that you said. It definitely feels like that, and it definitely feels like it goes somewhere, but it doesn't really veer off the track. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it definitely makes you feel like you're going somewhere. I, I don't. It, it's a it's a strange feeling that the song does uh, exude that feeling. I, for me, it, it did get a little long, um, and it was kind of like, all right, we're gonna keep doing this. Is that is that is that what it is? You know, <laughs> I'm looking at the eight minutes, and I'm like, all right, come on, we didn't have to go that long. But I, you know, lyrically, I think he he uh, he had a lot to say. You know, it's, that's for sure. It is always interesting to me how people can feel that way about a song. It's like. I I don't know. There's so many good songs that are long, and it's like, oh, it's too long. And I'm I'm just thinking, why? Like, is your is your attention span that short? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, in this particular case, the song doesn't really like we said it doesn't very veer off the track. Yeah, you know. But then you've got songs from Iron Maiden that are 11 minutes long, but it, it, it's 11 minutes of you've got three minutes of this speed, three minutes of that speed, mm-hmm. you know, four minutes. Of, so it, it, an Iron Maiden song will change three or four different times within that eight to 10 minute length. This one didn't really do that. Uh, it, it was, you know, it had its verse, it had its chorus, it had its thing. And that was, you know, it, it just, it just maintained itself there. Uh, yes and no. There are moments that it does slow back down again and then kind of speeds up. But I get I get what you're saying for the most part. It's not like three different movements of a song. It is repeating itself in in the way that a typical song would. Right. I got you. Okay. So song number seven, "Underwater Love." Um. Uh, here's what I got to say about this song. This song seems like a combination, an amalgamation, if you will, of several songs from this same album. So it 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 almost feels like this song was a mix of several different songs on this album to make this one track. Um, I, other than that, I, I, I didn't really feel much on this song. So you may have a different feeling about it than I do. Um, no, I, I get that. I mean, it, to me, it's, <laughs> it's kind of one of the filler tracks towards the end. You know, you get that a lot of times when you get to track seven of an album. Um, this wouldn't be the first time we've talked about that. Uh, it's, it's mid tempo. It's kind of funky. Doesn't do a lot for me. But there are some elements of it that are kind of creative. Like, it, it does give you an under underwater feeling at the beginning. And it's hard to explain, like, without just straight up listening to it. You know, there's certain songs that can capture, um, like, if it's a desert song, right? You could capture that feeling of the open plains and that freedom. Well, this kind of does that in a way where it does feel like it's subject but again, still feels a bit like filler. Alrighty then. And then going from one filler song to the morning after, um, that has a cool drum bass intro thing where the guitars then come in a few seconds later. That's catchy, but as the song progresses, it doesn't really ever catch me. 
the rest of the way. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, if you've listened to Faith No More for, you know, really before that time, um, it sounds that that funky bass line sounds a lot like We Care a Lot. And, um, you know, it's got something different about it, though, where it's got the contrasting soft vocal lines and uh, the um, sorry, I kind of lost where I was. Uh, it's got the soft vocal lines and keyboards that are kind of contrasting that that harsh, funky bass. So it is interesting. I would say it's better than, say, Underwater Love. But, again, it's not one that really does a lot for me, but it does have some really nice gar- guitar harmonies as the song goes on. I, I can give you that. I can give you that. Now, the next song, number nine, Woodpecker from Mars, the instrumental, that song I, I think is excellent. Um, the song starts with kind of like a Baba O'Reilly-esque keyboard intro. Uh, which but almost, but sound very similar to a violin. Um, you know, so the first half of the song is mostly keyboards, bass, and drums. And then, you know, just before the midway point, the guitar comes in. Um, even though there's no guitar coming in for the first minute or so, it, the, the first part of the song is really heavy. Um, I like this track a lot um almost almost a jammy kind of song to some degree and but it it really it really does uh a good job of keeping you entertained better than other songs on the album i mean it's it's almost like it inspired bands like tool you know it's I i could see that i could see that you know it's it is a really cool interesting track it's it's kind of a rock waltz so if you're familiar with waltzes, they, they it's very similar to that style. Um, it's a purely instrumental outro. And even though we're going to talk about, I think we're going to talk about the next two songs because there's different versions of this album that came out at the same time. So I think it's worth mentioning the next two songs, but mm-hmm, that's fine. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a cool outro for the, the typical version of the album. Yes. Um, all right. So for those of you who, who are not getting what we're talking about, um, there's a vinyl version, there's a cassette version and a CD version. Now the vinyl version, um, this is the last song on the cassette. It has another song called, uh, which we're going to go over edge of the world. And then I just looked at my CD tonight. My CD actually came from BMG direct music, you know that uh, like the Columbia House mm-hmm. type thing, and it has War Pigs as song number ten. Yes, and Edge of the World as song number eleven. So all those came out at the same time, and that's the reason why it's worth talking about. So, yeah. So, um, I didn't. We we were you and I were actually you know re- referencing the fact that we were listen- that I was listening to War Pigs at, today at work. Their their version, um, good version. I I don't have any complaints about it. Yeah, it, I what was a joke I said? I said, "Oh, I'm I'm you know I'm listening to the 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 whiny uh, version from Mike Patton, but then again, Ozzy is also a whiny vocals too. So it's they all. And then I I told you that Tesla did this song, did a cover of War Pigs, and Jeff Keith also has a whiny vocal too. So 
I guess to, to do the song well, you need to have whiny vocals. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, the version that they do is excellent. Yeah, I, th- I, I think it's a solid cover. Um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. So, you know, it's it's got great instrumentation. They're very talented musicians, so that's no surprise. Um, Mike's vocal ability and range to cover this song is pretty much perfect. Uh, but he gives it his own spin, so it's a nice cover. Yeah. All right, and then last but not least, the song Edge of the World. Um. All right, so you you pointed that out to me to make sure that we talked about the song, so I went ahead and I listened to it. Um, all right, so it's a pretty cool blues song, um, but <laughs> but when you start listening to the lyrics and paying attention, and you and you put yourself in the point of view of the storyteller, I'll put it that way. It's a little creepy. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> it is. It's a little creepy. So, and not creepy in like a like in a, in a dark haunted house kind of way either. <laughs> you know? So one thing about the album as well, we mentioned that Mike wrote the the lyrics in twelve days, right? But the band also had to kind of rein him in a couple times because the lyrics were a bit darker and heavier than what they ended up being. Um, so this I think probably is one of the leftovers where they were still pretty dark and heavy. Um, <laughs> A little, yeah. <laughs> so I'm. I've never been a fan of this track, and the reason I brought it up was because I had the cassette version of this. I grew up with the cassette. Um, we didn't have a lot of CDs in my house until later, until like the 2000s. Um, and vinyl was pretty minimal as well. My parents definitely didn't buy vinyl for me because I I didn't have a record player in my room, so I had cassette. And this was one that I never really liked, and I would always kind of skip over. That doesn't mean it's a bad song. It just means I'm not a big jazzy lounge singer kind of guy. You know, that's not my thing. So, um, (laughs) you know, knowing that the vinyl did not have this, I kind of wish I had the vinyl. But, uh, (laughs) again, it's just not for me. But it was track six on the cassette. So, I don't. It's actually not a bad song. It's not. I. But it's not a bad song. It's it's you know, and it it doesn't. It I say it's bluesy because it is bluesy, but it doesn't have that traditional, um, uh, uh, pattern that blues has when it gets to the chorus. You know, I would I would describe it as more jazzy than bluesy, but I I do get the bluesy vibe to it as well. Right. I, so um, it's it's just you can probably see why it doesn't appeal to somebody without like a, a more learned musical palette. But when you listen to it when you're a kid, it's it's also a different experience. So yeah, it's also again a very different from the rest of the album. Yes. So it it kind of throws you off, especially when you've been listening to that plunky bass the whole album. This doesn't really have that per se. So. It's it's a it's a very different song. So, what did you think as a whole about this album? I I I like the the, the first half of the album. To me, is excellent. Um, I definitely like it. I, I like the heavier parts of it, just because I'm, I'm I'm that's me. Um, but at the time when it came out, I was a fan of Epic. You know, I, I watched that video, uh, you know, however many million times it played on MTV. <laughs> yeah. Um, I wasn't aware of the singles 
back then. I wasn't part of the, the record store yet. Uh, 1989, when this came out, I was still in college. Um, second year out of the three that I went. And, uh, but I was doing a lot of my own thing. So I wasn't really paying a lot of attention to music per se. Um, there was, that was that little tiny period. Um, this, around this time also is when Nine Inch Nails came out and I had heard, um, a song from them. And so music was really changing between Nine Inch Nails, you know, um, I had heard that the, of this band called the Red Hot Chili Peppers that was causing a lot of, you know, underground stir coming out of California. Epic was a big hit at this point in the middle of the summer. So it, it was it was definitely something I listened to a lot during the during this time period, but I didn't get into it past Epic. Like so I didn't know about from out of nowhere. I didn't know about falling to pieces until later on. Mm, so gotcha. Well, but I like the album. It's a, it's a pretty good album. I mean, I would say it's it's a really diverse album. You know, it shows kind of hints of where they were going in the future. You know, if you if you like this, you might not necessarily like the stuff that comes afterward. But uh, it's it's more similar. Like it's it's kind of a in between between the first two albums. Where and again, pun intended, um, in between. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> It's between the first two albums, the the Chuck Mosley led albums, and then what would come after with Mike Patton. So it is kind of a middle ground between the two. But I I think it's an excellent album and a really great start for this rendition of the band. Yes, absolutely. All right, so that brings us now to the Red Hot Chili Peppers and their album Mother's Milk. Um, all right, so Mother's Milk was released on August 16th, 1989 on EMI Records. It was recorded at Ocean Way Recording in Hollywood, California and Image Studios in Hollywood, California. It was produced by Michael Beinhorn. Now, Michael is known mostly as an alternative rock producer, um, but he also produced Ozzy, Soundgarden, Korn, Black Label Society, and Marilyn Manson, to name a few of the harder bands. Uh, One story that came out of this recording sessions with Michael is that him and the band ended up not seeing eye to eye and a lot of the things that Michael was trying to do and they basically pushed back and pushed back pretty hard on the the direction that he wanted um, he wanted it to be a little bit harder edged album they didn't want that they succeeded in not getting what they what he wanted per se and that led to the falling apart between their their relationship um, although it was funny because they totally encouraged that the last album as much as they could you know get out of Anthony because Anthony in the previous album uplift mofo party clan was all trashed out so um red hot chili peppers for this album was Anthony Kiedis on vocals, John Frusciante on guitars, Flea on bass and trumpet, and Chad Smith on drums. However, one track, Fire, um, we'll talk about the track itself a little bit later, had Hillel Slovak on guitar and Jack Irons on drums, and then the song Taste the Pain had Philip Fisher on drums because Chad had not been hired yet. So, Chris, take it away. All right, so the album starts with Good Time Boys, 
it's a fun kind of funky intro to the album lots of references to themselves you know things like uh being naked on stage with their cocks on or socks on their cocks you know um not to be crass but that's the frame the phrasing they used um (laughs) the um other references they included on the album uh included fishbone uh Thelonious Monster and X, which were uh, punk bands that they were fans of and friends with. Um, it even has some backing vocals from Jack Sherman, who they fired from the band and then unceremoniously left out of their Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. Um, but it's a fun track. It's a nice little start to the album. How how influential was Jack? As far as their, his, his contributions to the band? Yes, uh, as far as his contributions. I mean, not much, not, not a whole lot, you know, but he did co-write, co-write half of Freaky Styly and he performed on Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, it's sort of like, um, it, it's the opposite of like with Dave Abruzzese from Pearl Jam played on two albums on the two of the three biggest albums in Pearl Jam's career and they didn't invite him. They actually had Jack Irons, who's in the the Hall of Fame twice, one for the Red Hot Chili Peppers and one for Pearl yeah. Jam. It's just very strange. It's more more that they just didn't see eye to eye, and and Anthony yeah. had a kind of heat with with uh, Jack. I'm not Jack. I'm sorry. Yes, yes, Jack Sherman. You said Jack Irons, and it threw me off. Um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. he had some heat with Jack Sherman, and that just never changed. So I'm pretty sure that's the reason he got left out. Well, there you go. Um, good time boys for me is, um, this is your typical red hot chili peppers of the time. Um, it's a, it's rap combined with, excuse uh, me, it's rap combined with funk rock, um, catchy chorus, you know, it's, it's red hot chili peppers. That's what, that's the epitome of who they were at that time, in my opinion, um, on this song, about three minutes into the song, this weird thing happens. I don't know if if if, if this is just because it was a bad recording or something. Maybe you can clarify this. But it almost sounds like the songs are switching out to different songs. Like like there's a mistake happened. Did that is is that the way you hear it? Uh, as far as I know, that's all intentional because there was a lot of overdubbing, and I think they actually used excerpts from other songs from on it. Okay, so I, I it wasn't just a, a bad file no, no, that no. Spotify had. <laughs> okay, I just, I just wanted to make sure. It almost sounded like it was changing the dial, but it didn't have that effect. Yes. It just had an effect like it was really bad editing. Uh, there's like little bits from other stuff in there throughout the song. And right. it's it's weird, but they were, they were just doing weird shit like i don't know the best way to say it. yeah that's what they yeah. do the other thing that i thought was pretty cool this the song is a bit of a plotter um but the guitar work from frusciante on this track is excellent it's just stellar yeah he work. was an he was a good addition to the band no matter what like yeah i mean as if you're a fan of red hot chili peppers you know he was only around for two albums um he did this and blood sugar sex magic then he left for a long time because he had some personal issues he was he was highly addicted to drugs and he was also um not able to cope with the fame and then he would later come back well, but he only left for one album came back and then but, left again yes but a it's there's a long period of time between that that the first yeah first uh run and the second run 
So even right. though there's technically only one album between, they were kind of on hiatus for a little while between there. Um, so go, moving on, we're, we're going into Higher Ground, which was the first single they released. Uh, this is a cover of Stevie Wonder's Higher Ground, and it's it's awesome. It really is. It, it's It's been used on so many TV shows and movies. It was on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie soundtrack, Beavis and Butthead, uh, Center Stage, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Walking Tall, The Longest Yard, The Karate Kid, The Change Up, and it was even in a couple video games, which this makes sense. It was on Rocksmith and Guitar Hero Live. Um, but it's it's a great cover. I, I heard this far before I heard the Stevie Wonder version, and it made me actually go back and listen to Stevie Wonder's version, and I kind of got into him after that. This This version, okay, so again... We, we've referenced this so many times on all these reviews. There's always that one song that stands out. This song is far and away well-produced, better produced than any song on the album. Um, the, the mix on this is so, so solid. I mean, the bass is just, it thunders in the background. You, if you have a really good system, you can feel it just kind of rumble in the background mm-hmm. um, when you're listening to it. Um, just everything is so clear about it. the guitars come right in your face. The, the mix on this is excellent. You can tell that this is well produced. All the separation, it's far and away better than anything on the album. That's not to take away from the album because the album is well produced overall. But it is funny how this stands out so far above the rest of the album, and how good of a song and a good of a version that they did on this on this song. It's great. It's excellent. All right. So that takes us into track three, which is Subway to Venus. And so to me, this is some kind of cross between Fat Albert and James Brown. Like it's, it's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One thing you can always say is Flea's bass lines are just awesome. And that's no exception here. Um, He even played the trumpet. uh, Well, one of the trumpet parts on this track and that's pretty impressive in and of itself, too. Yes, he he plays the trumpet. That's he's he's. I mean, Flea's a musician. He's a very good musician. He's just not a um, what you want to call it. Uh, he's not technically versed, if you want to put that word. He's no, not, he plays uh, with feeling. What's the word? You know? Yeah, but what's the what's the word I'm trying to say? He's not a. He's not classically trained. There you go. So. Um, he he, like like you said, he plays on field. He plays great. I mean, he's a great musician. There's tons of musicians who are not classically trained who are excellent. I'm not taking anything because Flea is probably one of the best bass players ever to live on this planet. He's excellent, um, absolutely. And you can hear him on so many different tracks throughout the the history of music. I mean, one big track that just comes to mind. He plays bass on Alanis Morissette's. Uh, big hit that she had um you ought to know i mean that's him playing bass on that so that's a that tells you he's really freaking good <laughs> um subway to venus for me that's a cool funky jam i like it um i like the horns on the song it's a fun song for me um that that's really pretty much all i can say about it it's a fun song for me yeah and that's just the chili peppers in general they're very i mean fun. that's kind of the vibe on this album is just having fun you know it, it's 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 interesting 
when you really think about it, you know, just a few years before this, actually just what a year before this, um, Hillel Slovak passed away from a drug overdose. Jack Irons left the band because he didn't feel like he could continue in that band without his friend. And then they, they hired D.H. Peligro as their drummer. Ended up not working out. He started writing some songs with them. They they ended up letting him go. I think they had a few other people in between where they they had him and then they they left the band. They finally find John Frusciante and they start recording some stuff. And all of this is happening in just a short period of time. You would be surprised, like really honestly like to think with all that upheaval with all that tragedy etc um you know to to, for a fun album like this to follow you would think it would be more saccharine or maybe just more sad you know but it's not it's 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 it is it's it's the opposite it's really it, it is very strange Drugs is a motherfucker, okay? <laughs> Just to tell you. But the funny thing about it is that, that Anthony was more strung out on drugs on Uplift Mofo than he was on this one. Mm-hmm. And a lot had to do with, obviously, seeing his friend die. Um, straightened his ass out for a little bit, at least. For a little um, bit, yeah. And, you know, it, 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 it things like that definitely play with your mind and it, it sends you in obviously different directions. Jack Irons couldn't deal with it. And you know what? That's understandable. That happens to people. Um, you know, the, the, you know, Hillel, so you lose half your band. Okay. You bring in, you know, Peligro, you bring in Dwayne McKnight from, a, from George Clinton's Funkadelic. And then you realize a couple weeks later, this guy's not going to, cut it this is not what we want and he got pissed when they fired his ass yes oh <laughs> my god pissed. yes <laughs> but hey it happens but john frusciante now here's the thing john frusciante classically trained he knows music theory and he showed a thing or two to flee so that's that's the other impressive part about that and you, you it's funny because you you see someone like john frusciante and you understand that he is classically trained but he doesn't play like that he plays. He's so far out there that you 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 would not think that he's classically trained, but he is. Yeah, I've I've watched quite a few videos, especially during the like uh, stadium arcadium era, where he talked about how he wrote songs, and it's really always very interesting, and you can see how his understanding of music works. But it's you know that's another story for another time. Um, we're going to move on to track four, which is Magic Johnson. Um, this is a frantic funk rock song. It's honestly, it's an audio assault from the beginning to the end. Um, <laughs> the guitar bass harmony and the, like the last minute mark is pretty awesome. It feels a lot like a high school cheer. Like, I, I don't know the best way to say that, but, but it feels like one of those cheers where like the, the, cheerleaders are cheering at the crowd the crowd's kind of responding um but man this is like adhd in the form of a song <laughs> well if you liked magic johnson and the la lakers as much as they do you would understand <laughs> um and that's what this song's about it's about the lakers it's about magic johnson it's about all the players 
or a lot of the players that were on the team during the Showtime era of the Lakers in the late, the mid to late eighties. Um, and it is with the same frenetic, frantic pace that you have come to realize that the Chili Peppers can can really exude. This is the song. This is the one that will just drive yeah. me nuts. But it's it's at the same time it's pretty cool. But it is pretty pretty frenetic. So track five is nobody weird like me. Um, this is another frantic track. It's got some interesting elements to it where like they pull in some almost like crooning and like there's just too much going on at times. <laughs> I don't know the best way to say that as far as like it's not as mentally draining as Magic Johnson. Like if Magic like if Magic Johnson was like an 8 minute song, I think you'd need a nap afterwards. Um but this is close because they're back to back. So yeah. It's another energizer battery of a song. I think that's a, that's probably the best way to describe it. <laughs> this uh this song for me is uh, like punk funk. You know, yeah. it's, it's fast like punk, It's but it's got the funk. <laughs> um, this, as you said, this song epitomizes the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And the the title says it all. They are weird. Nobody weird like me. So. <laughs> For sure. Track six is Knock Me Down. So this track has shared lead vocals with John and Anthony. I would say more so John as the lead singer. Um, it definitely has more of a rock vibe and has some similarities into the aesthetics of what would come along later in their career. So like the knock me down is almost like a prototype for what you would hear on say Californication or by the way later. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a really great track. I really enjoy it. And if you like John singing, which I do, um, definitely check this one out. Knock me down. Um, this has a good chorus to it. It is definitely one of the more mature songs that the band has done to this point. Yes. It's not even just this album, but to this point in their career. Um, this song is structured differently than their previous songs. Um, in much like you said, it, it, it moves the band in a direction that they would eventually go to on the next few albums. Absolutely correct. Um, you know, the, 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 Subject matter, you know, being about Hillel and his death and, and his drug use. Um, at the same time, they didn't want this to be an anti-drug song because in reality, they really couldn't put that stance. And, I mean, they still like drugs, so. Right, and not be <laughs> hypocritical. So, you know, I mean, as much as Anthony tried to clean himself up, it just he just kept faltering and faltering. Yeah. Um. So it's it's a pretty cool song. It's definitely different um, in that regards and, and almost different like how um, Higher Ground is different, but not in the same exact way. Um, obviously, Higher Ground had a lot of, uh, uh, what do I call that? There was a legacy to it. This is not what I'm trying to say, but there, there's, a, there's a, a legacy to it. It has, you know, Stevie Wonder a pedigree as opposed to. Yeah, pedigree. That's it. It had higher ground has a pedigree because it's a Stevie Wonder song, and they went out of their way to produce it. This is their own song, and they 
went out of their way to make this one better than most everything else. They they knew what they were doing when it came to the song. One really interesting thing, and it caught me every time I hear it, and so it's caught me twice in the last couple of days. About three minutes into the song, there's a woman that comes on and starts doing this kind of, I don't, I don't want to call it a howl, but it sounds like something like that. And it instantly reminds me of the intro to Heavens on Fire from Kiss to the point where I, at first I thought it was a sample. Yeah. Oh my God, that's what it was. I was trying to figure it out. And I was like, what is this? This sounds like somebody. And I couldn't. That's it. It's that. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you know, like, yeah. yeah. Oh, my <laughs> God. I, I, I was I was stuck on that for so long. And you just nailed it. I, I it, it's funny because I heard it in the first time. Oh, OK. So it's not really that. I thought it was a sample. And then I heard it again today. And it, and it tricked me again. No, it's a, it's a, it's so, a woman named Vicky Calhoun who did backing vocals on a few tracks. And I was just, I was stuck on it. I was like, I, I wanted to say something about it, but I couldn't figure out what it was. <laughs> well, that's it. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> that takes us into track seven, which was the third single, Taste the Pain. Um, this was the track that you mentioned earlier that Chad Smith did not play on. Instead, it was Philip Fish Fisher from Fishbone. Um it is for me it's it's not my favorite of the singles i you know i think it's definitely the weakest of the three um but it's still a pretty good track it just to me feels a little bit more middle of the road than some of the others it's definitely a strange track uh i i honestly don't think much of it it's an interesting song it's not my thing i really don't understand why it was a single I agreed. Like, I feel like you could have picked something better for a single. Right. Um, but if you're going to take a song from the album as a single, this does, this definitely beats out some of the other ones in that regards. You know, you're not going to put magic Johnson. <laughs> you're not going to put nobody weird like me. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but you yeah, could I, put I, good I time really... boys as a single before this. Yes. I probably would have done that, but it, it was definitely weird. I mean, it, the, the, Trumpet solo by Flea, another one, is pretty cool, but that's to me, it's about as cool as it gets. The trumpet solo is good. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that takes us to our. Um, well, how do I put this? Uh, a most non-metaphorical track on the album, uh, "Stone Cold Bush." <laughs> I wonder what this one's about. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I wonder. Um, you know, and. <laughs> Anthony pretty much said, like, what is a metaphor? I don't know what that is when he wrote this song and just pretty much <laughs> laid everything out as plainly as possible. And you know what? That's fine. And not every song has to be, you know, Bon Scott. You know, some of sometimes they can just talk about Bush and talk about, you know, blowjobs and whatnot, and that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. This one's... um. Got a cool riff. <laughs> it's got a really cool groove to the song, but the the lyrics are pretty straightforward. I can tell you that. Um, I actually, I'm I'm pretty proud. I did a pretty good job of looking at a lot of the lyrics on several of the songs that we were talking about tonight. <laughs> so yay for me on this one. <laughs> 
So that takes us into the second cover on the album, which is Fire. Uh, now, this wasn't originally for this album, but it was included as a tribute to Hillel, who had passed away the year before. Um, he was the guitarist on this album, and as we mentioned earlier, Jack Irons was the drummer. Um, this was a cover of Jimi Hendrix's Fire, and it's a really good one. Like, it's it's super fast. Um it's, so it's a, it's a different vibe entirely than the original track. And there's one lyric that was changed. I think there was a few, but this specifically uh, was move over Rover, let Mr. Huckleberry take over. And uh, that was actually S- Slovak's uh, nickname, Mr. Huckleberry. And did I mention it was extremely fast? <laughs> <laughs> it is very fast. Um, I bought this the Abbey Road EP because of this song. And the only thing I can say about the song, I, well, it's weird. It's, I like their version of it. I like what they do. I like the fastness of, or the I like the fastness. I like the speed of the song. Um, I don't like the production. The production sucks ass oh, it's bad. on this song. Yeah. Just to put it straight <laughs> up, you know, the drums are flat. The production is just flat overall. Um, you know, Anthony sounds like he's singing in the hallway down around the corner. Um, it, it's it's a shame because it probably could have used maybe just a remix. It might help it a lot. Um, and maybe there is another remix out there of, of it. I don't know, but it's just the, the production is terrible. Um, it's it's nice in that they included it on on the album because of Hillel and stuff like that. Um, so it's that. I mean, Jack Irons is also the one playing drums on it. Um, so for for those who don't know, this was actually song was recorded during the Uplift Mofo Party Plan sessions. Left off the album was later released on the Abbey Road EP, which was kind of like a, a mini collection of older songs from the first couple of albums. Um, and you know, the band themselves uh, took pictures uh, very much like the Beatles. Back in the day, crossing uh, the street in England. Here's the funny thing about that. Um, I don't know if anybody knows this. So, this that's the famous picture where they're naked walking with the socks on their cocks. Um, the photographer who took that picture, or was it was it the Beatles, or was it the Chili Peppers? The photographer who took the picture lost the film or the film got damaged and had to do it again, or he didn't have film in oh, the camera. Oh, no, I didn't know I that. <laughs> so they had to do the whole session again. I don't remember if it was the Beatles or if it was the, the Chili Peppers, but I think it was the Chili Peppers, and they had to redo the, the, the whole thing of walking. It was, it <laughs> the, was way they the did. Uh, Chili Peppers. It says uh, British photographer Chris Clun. Uh, took the photo in February of 1988. He had to do the shoot twice over consecutive days because the first time he realized he had no film in his camera. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys, you know that embarrassing photo you took? Got to do it again. (laughs) I don't think they care. Do you mind putting it? Yeah, no. (laughs) They they were just probably like that the whole day. (laughs) Hey, do you mind putting on a different sock? This one was just not uh, not clean oh, enough. God, <laughs> <laughs> what you do to that sock? Why is it so stiff? Oh Jesus! <laughs> All, right. All right, let's move let's on. Let's move on to track ten, <laughs> to "Pretty Little Ditty." 
you know, it's pretty much just that. It's a nice little instrumental. Uh, John would go on to create full albums of this kind of stuff. Uh, I would say of like 17 or 18 of them at this point. Um, so if you enjoy Pretty Little Diddy, then definitely check out his uh, his solo stuff because he has a lot of this kind of stuff on there. I like this song. I do too. I think it's a really, really, really cool song. Um, it's a very cool instrumental. It It shows the band has the potential to write a complex song. And well, John has the potential to write. Well, John. (laughs) Well, but then you know what Flea does too, because Flea Flea has a lot to do also with the writing and the way the things come through that. But the the song itself, to me, it could have been like a song that maybe showed up on Blood Sugar Sex Magic or Californication, that because John wrote those those. You know, help write those albums and he has this way about him and, and I think if the, this song would have been more fleshed out if you put it that way they could have had lyrics to it they could have had different melody they could have had you know uh, it could have been a bigger song which that's how cool of a song I think this is if they if they put in a bridge or a chorus type thing and they can easily have made this a big song but I guess they, they, they were, that was too much to ask for at this period of their career where they're still trying to mature. <laughs> I think they're still trying to mature. Um, <laughs> well, that, that's true. But <laughs> songwriting-wise, they've matured pretty good. So you know what's interesting is is you really look at the songwriting credits, and if you watch some of those videos like I was talking about where John's talking about the production and songwriting, etc., um, he really wrote pretty much all the music for a period in their career where he was even writing the bass parts etc and obviously the other guys are coming in and making them even better but you know like we we talked about um how black sabbath wrote heaven and hell and geezer wasn't part of the writing process but then he came in and he plays the bass like like geezer does so there are there's always musicians that do those kind of things. But I thought that was so interesting that the band started out, you know, more of a group effort. And then at one point in their career, they're just really letting John do the bulk of the work. I mean, it happens. It, it tells you how good of a songwriter he is. Absolutely. All right. So moving on to uh, track 11, it's a punk rock classic. This is heavier and faster than anything else on the album. It's fast and sweet. You know, it only comes in at a minute and 46 seconds. And it has the best solo on the album. Yes, it has a very good solo. But there's a better one, in my opinion. Um, this song is pretty cool. Um, you know, it's it's punk funk. It's typical Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, but what I like about this one, they, they, they don't hold back as far as what they want from this song. They want to get played on MTV. They want a video on MTV. Give them their video on MTV, will you? I think they, I think they succeeded a couple years later. Um, the really, really fun part about this song is the Sweet Child of Mine reference at the end of the song. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I actually really like the track. It's, it's fun, you know, and it's short. And it's not like you wasted your time. It's only less than two minutes. so <laughs> That's punk for you, baby. <laughs> All right. So uh, the next track is Sexy Mexican Maid. 
And, uh, you know, this is, for the most part, I would say kind of filler territory. But the highlight for me is there's a a 30-second solo by John towards the end of the song. And you said you think it's better. I don't think it's better than the one in Punk Rock Classic, but I think they're both really good. What I like about it is that it's so simple. And yet it evokes so much emotion to me. I can see I that. like those kinds of solos where it's just like you hit that one note and you can bend it a certain way and, you know, make it sound like you're crying. This this has that. This doesn't have, a, uh, there's not a lot of uh, uh, notes involved. There's not a complex solo. It's one note here, one note there, a couple notes together here, one note there, bend that out here. And yet it just, it says so much in that small period of time. I, that's what I like about the solo. I can agree with that. And then that takes us to the final track on the album, uh, number 13, which is Johnny Kick a Hole in the Sky. Um, it's another funky track. And honestly, I think it's better than some of the, the ones a little bit earlier on the album. But, you know, we're at track 13. You know, it's easy to overlook it or forget it. Um, I'd say it's in the right place, but you know, it's track 13. Yeah. Um, I can see your point on that. I, I, I found it interesting because of the lyrics. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's, it's very interesting lyrics as far as, you know, it's a, it's a testament from a native American. And I really, you know, a lot of things that are native American just really appeal to me. Um, and so this one kind of stuck out. I don't. I don't necessarily think it's a great song in that regards, but the words and and the message he's trying to convey definitely leave that mark for me. Um, but I can see your point. Yeah, it's your song thirteen into an hour long album. I can see where it's like. All right, let's go. And that, that's let's go. that's kind of what I mean. Is that it's it's very deep into an album, and like I said, it's better than some tracks. Like I. I think it's better than Nobody Weird Like Me. Um, probably Taste the Pain, honestly. It's better than, but it's so late. Oh, I'm definitely better than Taste the Pain. <laughs> it's so late into the album that it's like, you know, I I almost didn't give it the, the love that it probably deserves. Right, exactly. And, and that you, happens. You get to that yeah. point, you know, it, it, you, when you get to that point, it's like, all right, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Exactly. Yeah. So I would say... You know, it's, again, it's easy to forget that this album really followed a lot of tragedy uh, because it is so fun. You know, it's it's very easygoing. It's very funky. Uh, as I mentioned just a minute ago, it runs a little bit long, but, you know, it's still a good album. It's still a really good album. And, you know, despite some meandering tracks, you know, it definitely reaches, uh, or the, they would definitely reach some, some higher, or, Wow, I almost said higher, higher ground. Higher, higher ground. <laughs> <laughs> that I meant greater heights, but higher ground works even better um, with Blood, Sugar, Sex, Magic. But this was a really good start to this lineup of the band. And I would say this lineup of the band arguably wrote some of Red Hot Chili Peppers' best albums. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, this album for me... It, 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 it is a fun album. We talk about it being long. It's not really long. 
in terms of time, but 13 songs is a lot of, uh, a lot of information. things that you have to start paying attention <laughs> to different tracks. Yes. Huh? It's a lot of information. Yes, it's a lot of information. So, you know, this is sort of like, you know, when you have 27 songs from a punk band and it's all done in like 20 minutes. You know, <laughs> it, it's it's short, but my God, you got to go through the 27 songs. <laughs> so What was track 33 again? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I like the album. I think it's I think it's a pretty cool album overall. I would agree, but uh, I guess it's going to come down to which one we think is best. Okay, so we're at that point where we decide, in our opinion, which one we think is better. Um, for me, this is an interesting one because yes, they both rap. Yes, they both are funky. Personally, in my opinion, Red Hot Chili Peppers is more funk than Faith No More. I think Faith No More has a style that's played, um, you know, when you play the bass the way that that um, he plays it. I'm trying to think of his name. Well, and I, I have it written here. I just forgot. Um, oh, Billy Gold. Cool, cool. When you have a style like that that Billy plays... It's a funk style, but I don't necessarily think it's funky like funk music is, in my personal opinion. That, you know, Flea is much better at that. Um, Rap-wise, you know, the Chili Peppers have been doing it virtually since the beginning of their career. That was their whole thing. They were, they were the rap-punk-funk band. Um, to me, that's something that Faith No More instituted in reality, they didn't need to. I mean, Chuck Mosley started it for them, but I think when they got Mike Patton, I, I really think they didn't need to do that. But that's that was their style. That's what they did. That's what they wanted him to do. So he did it. Um, when it comes down to it, I'm going to say that I prefer the Faith No More album, The Real Thing, more so than the Red Hot Chili Peppers album based on the first half of that that album. All right. I didn't think you don't think I was going to go that way, did you? I wasn't sure, but I w- I didn't count it out because the more you were talking about it, you know, what I heard from you what you were saying, I felt like you were going to go with Faith No More as as we went through the albums. Like I didn't initially know. I thought maybe you would go Red Hot Chili Peppers cuz you know them better. Um but you know, but just based on what you were talking about, I kind of, I kind of saw the direction you were going, um, and I'm in agreement with you this time. Uh, I, oh, okay. I think the real thing is a more cohesive album. It's better. That doesn't necessarily mean that um, it has to be cohesive to be a good album. Obviously, it's there's some absolute chaos going on with uh, uh, Mother's Milk, but it's it's a lot of fun to go through. Um, but I just, I like more tracks on faith. No more's real thing. I think the first, that first half of the album, like you mentioned track one through six, um, at least in the record version of it, or the one that we went over, you know, the 11 or track version, uh, they're just amazingly solid. And then you've got Woodpecker, which I think is fantastic. And their cover of War Pigs is also really awesome. So I think there's more to really enjoy where I think the the actual strengths on the, the Red Hot Chili Peppers albums are the two covers. 
and then a few other tracks. But it's it's a lot of fun to listen to regardless, but I just don't think it's as good of an album. If you were comparing it more to like Blood Sugar Sex Magic, it would be maybe a tougher call, but they think those are even further away from each other as far as like styles. So, oh yeah. But I would say that Blood Sugar Sex Magic is heavier than because they went away from the whole punky part uh, that they do. <clears throat> the funk punk. Yes. They went away from that on Blood Sugar Sex Magic. So it actually, Blood Sugar Sex Magic actually compares more in that regards to Faith No in More. In some degrees, um, but uh, yeah. In some degrees. It's just, yeah. Anyway. I mean, there's a couple, you know, there's a couple of things like, uh, oh God, I can't remember the name of the song. It's towards the end of the album. Um for on blood sugar sex magic that's you know fast and funky and all that stuff like that which brings you back to their their punk funk days but or the, the rest of the album really is not like that at all yep but that's for another time yeah we'll probably do something more with Ch- chili peppers if you guys like this or these bands we definitely want to hear from you and and you know is this a good genre to kind of go into again yeah let us know let us know in the comments when we post the video in youtube or let us know in the comments on instagram or on faith on faith faith no more <laughs> on facebook facebook <laughs> facebook uh let's not talk about that all right <laughs> so that brings us to our big four for tonight which we're going to be doing a double big four it is the big four faith no more songs and big four red hot chili pepper songs um so you know um, there is actually a faith book. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to Religious know. And we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> anyway, I just think it's funny. All right. So, all right. So since I did Faith No More first when we did when we talked about the songs, I'll do. Well, let's do the Faith No More, and I'll go first, and then you can do the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you can go first on that one. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So my big four faith, no more songs. Now for someone who doesn't listen to a lot of faith, no more, I didn't want to pull them off all off of one album. (laughs) So I actually had to listen to some other stuff, but I, I had listened to it back in the day. Um, so my number four is, um, the gentle art of making enemies. Um, and that comes from the King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime album. I listened to that song again today, and I, I really, really enjoy that song for one reason. It, and it hit me today for the first time because I hadn't listened to that song in forever. To me, that song is a precursor to some of the stuff that System of a Down would do or does uh, or did, does depending on what day of the week it is. Um, so a, I, there's this valid confusion. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so I, I think that there's definitely some influence on SOD there. SOAD. Excuse yeah, me. That's what I was mentioning earlier was that a lot of bands use them as a reference point. Mm-hmm. And, and like, I've, I, I'm trying to remember who it was, but there's a band that I was reading about recently that the way they actually all kind of came together was they were all Faith and Omar fans. So that's, you know, that's interesting to say. But continue on with your list. No no problem. (laughs) All right, number three for me is We Care A Lot from the Introduce Yourself album, not the first one. Um, 
Chuck Mosley was was definitely different, um, but this is where it all started. You know, they had that rappy, funky thing going on, and you know, this was one of the better songs on that on that first real album that they put together. So um, this was re- this was one of the songs that they re-recorded off the first album that they put together when they when they found, signed to a big label. Um, number two for me, Surprise You're Dead, haha, <laughs> off of The Real Thing. Uh, we talked about that song earlier tonight. And then number one, oddly enough, I really enjoy it, is Falling to Pieces. There you really? go. Yes, I, I really dig that song, except for that one part, <laughs> or two <laughs> parts, or however many times it's in there. But it, it I really, the, the, the chorus, the melody of that chorus is just so cool. Gotcha! Wow, uh, that one surprised me. But uh, so my we only have one song crossover. But uh, my number four is Midlife Crisis off of Angel Dust. Um, I think it's a really strong song. Um, it was, what's funny is that when I first heard it, I didn't even like it, but it grew on me big time as time went on, and I I still have it on a playlist. Uh, my number three is your number three. We care a lot. Off of the Introduce Yourself album, um, I I've always liked that one. There's even a line if you've listened to me before, you know I'm probably or probably know I'm a Transformers fan. Uh, there's there's a uh, a line in there that references them. So I just I've always liked this song. Um, my number two is Zombie Eaters. We mentioned it earlier off of the real thing, and I just. I love the maturity of that track. I love how it starts and it's got this kind of ambient sound, very interesting, very like developing as things go along. And I think it's just, it's awesome. And my number one is Epic. And I mentioned kind of why it was one of the first Faith No More songs that I heard and it really grabbed my attention and it's always stuck with me. So I had to pick that one. You didn't have to. I had to. Yeah, it was it was required. It was a prerequisite. (laughs) All right, so now we're doing the big four Red Hot Chili Pepper songs. Take it away. Uh, So, I'm more of a fan of the later years of of the Chili Peppers, or I guess the middle years at this point. Uh, My number four is "Can't Stop" off of "By the Way." Um, Huge fan of that album. Uh, Californication, by the way, are probably my two favorite albums from the Chili Peppers. Um, but by the way, I think takes the lead for me from beginning to end. And Can't Stop is one that just really, I dig a lot. Um, you know, that it, it, that was a tough call because there's a couple of other songs off of that album I could have picked as well. Uh, my number three is Parallel Universe off of Californication. Um Ever since I first heard that song, it's been my favorite track off that album. Um, there's a f- couple others I really like, but this one just always stood up for me. And it's something very different for Chili Peppers. Like, uh, very, uh, like, heavy, heavier, not heavy, heavy, but, like, it's a, it's a guitar-driven song where a lot of the stuff before that was not. It was just, like, very funky, and this was a whole different evolution for the band. My number two, excuse me, my number two is Under the Bridge off of Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Um, 
that one's a like a very meaningful song i'm sure for a lot of people uh you know feeling at your lowest and um never wanting to to reach that point again i think that res that can resonate with many people and uh f- you know specifically for for anthony and um and john like this this song would be probably one of the most meaningful in their catalog uh, but even for somebody who hasn't been addicted to drugs but has gone through difficult things in their life this song is amazing and my number one is dosed off of by the way um, this one has a a dual harmony uh, vocal line in it with John and Anthony and it's it's a very beautiful song a little softer than some of the other stuff but it's one that really just I I gravitated towards I just absolutely love this track and uh, if you haven't heard it um, which I don't think it's a single by any means or anything like that but um, it's it is a song that is worth listening to um i still question what the meaning is to this day it's never been said but just awesome beautiful track very nice we have zero crossover um, (laughs) all right and we we pick a couple songs from the same albums but um we don't we don't cross over um my four songs come from two albums um, and they would be my two favorite albums from the Chili Peppers. Um, and I was listening to some of the other songs today just to say, okay, do, do I like this one more than I like that one? And after listening to them, thinking about it, and then thinking about the history of, of me listening to those songs, these four are the ones that have stuck out with me the most. So that's why I had to pick these four. Um, number four for me, Give It Away from... Blood Sugar Sex Magic, um, pretty much the first, after Mother, oh, no, excuse me, after Higher Ground, this is the next big song that I heard from the Chili Peppers. Um, I started working at the record store around this time, so this song really had a big impact as far as me getting into the Chili Peppers. The video is really cool. The fact that they basically flipped the tape and played the guitar solo backwards throughout the the, 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 the solo. And the funny thing is in the video, they do the same thing <laughs> with the little squirrely thing that's going around. It's really cool. Uh, so I like that song a lot, a lot. And I try to get my girls to listen to it. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. Um, do they do a little dance and then drink a little water? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Number three, uh, Other Side from Californication. This was the one song that I, I, I had, I don't want to say I had trouble picking. It was the one song that I said, is this the song that I really listen to the most based on what, after the first two songs that are on this list, or the, the, the one and two. And yes, I really, really like the vocals on this song. Uh, it really, really shows how good of a vocalist Anthony is. Um, I mean, there's almost acapella-ish to some degree, each of the lines that he delivers. And I really think he's an exceptional vocalist. Um, number two for me is Californication from Californication. That, that song is just so cool. It, you know, I, it's not a lot 
that I could say about it. It's just a really, really cool song. I love when that song comes on. I listen to it. I listen. I, I know the lyrics. It's a really, really cool song for me. But number one is off of Blood Sugar Sex Magic, and this song is Suck My Kiss. I love that song. That is by far my favorite Red Hot Chili Peppers song. It's not their typical style, and that's part of the reason why I really, really like this song. And it's very heavy. So I, I love that song. I, I like all of those. Um, <laughs> but obviously I like the ones that I picked those a little more. Those other four more. <laughs> no, I, I, I thought about it on the other side because I really do like that song a lot. But... Um, you can only pick four. That's, That's tough. It. You can only pick four. Well, and that is our double big four for tonight. Big four Red Hot Chili Peppers, big four Faith No More. And that concludes this episode of Debating Metal. So, as always, remember to like, subscribe, and download the show on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget you can interact with us by commenting on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can DM us as well. If you listen to us on YouTube, be sure to leave us a comment, or you can just send us an email to debatingmetal at gmail.com. So remember to tune in to the next episode where we spark up another exciting metal debate. On behalf of Kenneth and myself, stay safe, and always turn it up to 11. See ya. See ya.